Good evening, everyone. I am Wesley Hill, and I'm one of the ministers of congregational care at Brentwood United Methodist Church. And we are so glad that you are joining us tonight for the first conversation in our series of Resilience and Hope. We have designed and reserved this space for conversations surrounding mental wellness. Our hope is that you will be able to identify some of the things you might be feeling, experiencing, and possibly struggling with. And in the midst of that struggle, also find strategies, strength, and hope to carry you through. Eight months into this pandemic, we have started to notice at the church some of the patterns that our congregation has been facing and talking about. Coronavirus anxiety, stress around the political things, members who don't feel comfortable leaving their homes, parents who are working full-time from their homes, students who are online or virtual or in-person learning one day and then the next day something different, job losses, financial struggles, the list goes on and on. And all of this, while we're also being distanced from, from our supportive groups and friends. Tonight, we're going to look specifically at stress and anxiety. We've experienced both, everybody's experienced both at some point in our lives. And the last several months have kind of ramped up some of those experiences for us. Worry and nervousness are emerging from the extra mental and emotional strain in this global challenge that we are all facing. So tonight, we're going to name it. We're going to learn about it. And we're hopefully going to become more equipped to manage it. But before we meet our experts who are going to guide us through this, I'd like for us to begin with prayer. Abba Father, we welcome you into this space tonight. We welcome you to come and sit among the weary, the broken, the curious, the ones who are anxious, and the ones who love those who are anxious. We welcome you to come sit among those of us who are stressed and juggling so many things that we always feel one step away from dropping it all. Father, we are weary of this pandemic and we are waiting for normal to return. As we wait for that day, we ask for strength to admit when we are struggling and the hope to keep going. Abba Father, fill this time with your hope and your grace as we dare to be vulnerable and honest with ourselves and perhaps with others around us. We thank you that you care about our spiritual, emotional, and mental well-being. And we thank you for calling us your beloved children. Amen. Before I introduce our experts, um, I'd like to remind everybody that there is a chat box where you can send in your questions. Um, and those will be answered after, after we have a little time of panel discussion here. Um, so without further ado, every month I'm going to be joined by these wonderful people. Um, these are our counselors who are in private practice at the church, um, actually behind the church at the counseling center there. 
Uh, Dr. John Fight is a counseling psychologist who specializes in individuals and couples therapy for adults, um, adolescent individual therapy, and both executive and life coaching. Uh, Dr. Jim Wilburn is a clinical psychologist who specializes in individual, family, and group psychotherapy with children and adolescents. And Stacy Jagger is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in restoring the connection between children and their parents. So welcome you all and thanks for being here. Thanks for having us, Wesley. We're so glad that y'all can come and talk to us today. We kind of want to start this conversation by establishing a baseline for anxiety and stress in the people that you serve. Uh, so, John, can we start with you? We can. Um, we can thank you. <laughs> <We> may. <laughs> oh, good, good. Um, can you share with us some of the typical symptoms of anxiety and how it presents in adults and couples? Well, it, of course, it presents in adults and couples in the same way that we're all familiar with, because there's no one among us who's never experienced stress and anxiety. Uh, when we're thinking about does it rise to a clinical level, we're often thinking not is it qualitatively different, but just to what degree does it interfere with a person's life? You know, whether it's worry or panic or for some of us blessed with that obsessive compulsive disorder, cleaning, counting, checking, and beyond, or phobias, or uh, whether it's something that we experience primarily in, in our body. There's a lot of different ways uh, that we can experience it. And often, of course, it's, it comes with depression as well, particularly when there's a lot of negative thoughts uh, involved. Um, if you want me to go further, I will about, you know, what I see these days, or do you want to hold off on that part? We'll get into those in just a minute. We kind of want to establish that baseline that we were kind of seeing before the pandemic. Sure. Um, I know they're going to be kind of similar there too. Uh, let's see. What about the teens? What's going on with the teens? That would be me. I mean, that would be me to talk about the teens. <laughs> um, well, the, so anxiety, when you have um, a, a clinical form of it, you're going to have some very specific kinds of constellations of symptoms or um, behaviors or particular kinds of signs. And that's going to be, John had mentioned like um, worrying a lot. It can be feeling restless and fidgety. Um, it can be um, being for, particularly for teens, it can be tired and unmotivated, although that can tr be true for everybody, but that's especially likely to show up in teens. Concentration difficulties comes along when you're getting really anxious and, and starting to feel overwhelmed about things. You have various kinds of more intense emotions. Um, most of the time, most people think about with anxiety, the kind of emotionality is um, tearfulness or uh, fearfulness, that kind of thing. But for teens, it can also be irritability and kind of of really reactive to um, things in a much more intense way. Um, worried or concerned, sleep problems, physical symptoms like upset stomachs and, and headaches and that kind of thing. Um, for kids, Stacy's gonna talk some about this, the, the cleanliness and a, 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 along with some other things that are more specific to them that she'll talk some about. Um, there's also one of the things to me about more 
current with anxiety within the context of the COVID pandemic is also a kind of thing that, that usually is talked about as burnout. And that's about just kind of being worn completely out. And it has a similar look to anxiety. And it might, it's, it's, it's a parallel that's close enough, but that's also specific to having been kind of, of tense uh, day in and day out and having demands placed on you and struggling with stuff and, and, um, and tr- losing the sense about what even the real purpose of things are. So, so that's another one that I'm finding that, that is more likely to show up in teens in ways that we can maybe talk about later about why that may be happening. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you. Well, Stacy, what about with kids? Can you paint a picture for us about what it looks like seeing kids and anxiety and stress with them? Yeah, you know, um, because I work primarily with young children, um, I, I do my best to look at the child within the whole family system. And what I see over and over again is there's this systemic anxiety that, um, you know, parents aren't aware of how their own anxiety affects their children. And there's this kind of circular nature to it. And so um, I will many times talk to parents about their children through the lens of the nervous system. And just a really quick, easy way to understand it is we have our sympathetic and our parasympathetic nervous system. Our sympathetic is when we get really revved up. Um, And especially for children that are on screens, you know, many, many hours a day. I think the research is seven and a half hours a day of entertainment-based screen time is what most young children are on now. And and parents are not realizing that their children's nervous system, the sympathetic nervous system is constantly revved up. And then they're they're having what's called a dorsal parasympathetic collapse response in their actual nervous system, which looks like depression. So what ends up happening is the child goes from being super revved up, which looks like anxiety, and then they collapse, which looks like depression, and they kind of go back and forth. Um, And for a young child, and every child is different. I mean, truly, every child I see is different. And the family system is different. Their personality is different. Are they strong-willed or compliant, you know? Um, But, um, you know, if I can just give an example, I have a child right now who is on Fortnite, Minecraft, plus school, very little time outside. Um, and the, both parents are working and, and the parents are like, why is my child anxious? And, um, so I sort of have a whole protocol around how I work with children, but when you look at things with kids through the lens of the nervous system, things start to make more sense that my child doesn't really have a behavior problem. My child's sympathetic nervous system is revved up all the time and they don't have the margin for anything else. And so that's why they're having fits of rage and that's why they can't manage their emotions and um, all kinds of really interesting things that kids do based on, you know, the strategies that they come up with to cope that are maladaptive. Um, And so I find that when I talk about things through the nervous system, that parents are like, oh, I get it now. And then they become more willing to do what's necessary for their child's nervous system to be regulated in their window of tolerance. 
which many times will correct the behavior problem if they can just look at it through that lens. So um, hopefully that answered some of your question about young children. So. Yes, yes, thank you. Um, so now that we've established kind of that baseline, um, how has the pandemic changed that for you all? Has it, or has it, has it changed any of the presenting symptoms? What all have you all seen in the last eight, nine months? Um, and how is that different? Okay, do you want me to go first? Y'all can talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> Let's do one, two, three, and then we can also talk amongst ourselves because everyone's sitting here waiting. Yeah. So. Okay, so uh, I, I would say uh, when I was thinking about this, the word that uh, came to me was the word trapped. Okay, so this is a, a global pandemic. There's nowhere else to go. And so you literally can't go anywhere on earth where you might not have to face this possibility. And, you know, most people are accepting it and kind of weathering through it, you know, but that's kind of on the, it's deceptive. So on the surface, life seems somewhat the same. It, you know, it's changed, but somewhat the same. But underneath a lot of the rituals of day-to-day -day life have been disrupted. I, I guess I would compare it like um, when Hurricane Katrina came through New Orleans. It wasn't just that people experienced a heck of a storm. It was now everything that was there before, kind of a way of life, was gone. And when people face that kind of an overwhelming change, they tend to alternate between denial and then being frozen in uncertainty. So some, they go from periods where everything looks the same till they're just frozen and things that, you know, might not be disrupted by the pandemic at all, they still find themselves sometimes paralyzed to make the decisions that they ordinarily would make. So uh, the other thing that I see is that, of course, people are scared of what I like to call the shadow lands. You know, they're scared of slipping off the edge to, of the middle class life that they've known, uh, as a lot of us experienced back in 2008 or so with the last recession. And all of the things that go with that, you know, they're starting to appear, the uh, increase in uh, substance abuse, uh, the increase in domestic violence. Uh, the increase in suicide, you know, all of those th elements are there kind of building. And, and there's this sense of unease that you don't know, are you going to be hit in your health? Or are you going to be hit economically? So one of the first impacts of this was to hurt the people who have pre-existing mental health problems. And I've had a tremendous number of people, you know, come back uh, from previous treatments. People are fatigued. Uh, we're kind of, quote unquote, going through this alone together. Uh, the two groups I see particularly affected are the singles, particularly the singles who've relocated to this area, who don't have a good infrastructure. And then I see a lot of stress among couples with small children, especially the dual income families who are trying to make it all work. And they're really just literally kind of pulling their hair out. Uh, people are stressed to the max. It's taking a real toll on marriages. Um, I've, I've become a little bit of a night owl staying up late so I can do couples therapy after the kids have gone to bed. <laughs> that's kind of the way it works, you know, these days. 
Um, and there's a, there's another thing that's happening too that is going to create trauma for years to come. And that's the number of people who feel such tremendous guilt associated with the death of loved ones when they've not been able to give them a proper goodbye. And there's a lot of suffering, you know, in silence uh, about that. So those, those are some of the things that I have seen. We've seen that in the funerals when they've been at the church too, um, because we've been limited in the number of, of people that we could have there. Um, so that's, that has also been a challenge, a big challenge that we have seen too. Sorry, I went out of order. <laughs> <laughs> you create the order. <laughs> then I mess it up. <laughs> exactly. It can't be messed up. Like, you're you're gonna gonna <laughs> Is it my turn? Is it my turn? <laughs> yes, it can be your turn now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, with teenagers, um, the, there's been this kind of rolling, um, issue, which is true for everybody, but I'm going to still talk about it from the teenage perspective. And that is that school is on and school is off. School is distance learning. School is on site. Um, you're in the classroom. You're not in the classroom because now you've been isolated because you've been exposed and the rest of the people are there and you're now on. Okay. So that's huge. That's, that's part of just this whole upending, as John was saying, of what he uh, was referring to as rituals. And that is just the rhythms of life. The things that we didn't realize just went on and, and supplied us with a whole lot of things like structure and predictability and not having to decide things because we were just going to roll along with this because that's how it's supposed to be in the best sort of ways. We're not talking about um, the, the, the pathological part of that. But so so what then happened is that kids had to be more self-directed in their learning. And so there are plenty, even of high achieving kids who are like making really good grades, but the structure of school and the competitiveness of their peers beside them and the fact that they were going to class every day and they were going to come back to class and there was going to be direct accountability actually helped sustain them in that higher achieving level. Now, there are always kids who take their own kind of motivation for these things. But I'm talking about even in the high team, you, you, you can see this, of course, in kids who are going through school and plan, even planning on going to college, but they don't really know what they're going to do. They haven't got a sense yet of what direction they're going, which is a perfectly fine and adaptable, except when the structure around moving you forward starts to change. And so they're starting to flounder because of that. The... The other thing that's changed is that there's a different work ethic that's related to this very thing that I'm talking about. So the self-directed learning part also means that kids have to take that much more, a little bit or a lot of extra um, commitment on their own part to taking charge of their own learning, taking charge of the things that they're responsible for in a way that was just kind of structured in um, when things were in the ways, traditional ways that they've been organized and structured before that. Um, there's tremendous amount of relationship strain. And so for teenagers, of course, relationships, that's the first big era for us as humans where relationships outside of the family become important. And so at the very time that this is happening and this is important for them developmentally, they for long periods of time were cut off. They also didn't realize how much they got from casual friendships, not best friend friendships, but the casual friendships that they would have when they would run into people in various settings, in the hallway, in the classroom, 
um, even when they get together in various gatherings, parties or whatever. And so, but what that meant with the shift with the pandemic is only best friends were able to contact each other. And so there was this um, lack of contact that was happening that kids didn't even realize they didn't have those really close friends because frankly, they didn't need them. They had close friends, they were satisfying. But when they, when the opportunity for those naturally occurring um, social collect, um, collections um, started to disappear because of this, that also created a whole big kind of gaping hole there. The issue of life goals becomes important. If you have to have a reason for doing this now that you bring from inside yourself, as opposed to today you go to school and today this is the class and today we're having this test and the teachers are all going to kind of monitor and oversee and look at that. So if you're doing that as a way of kind of substituting for a personal goal and that whole structure starts to come apart, then kids start saying, what am I doing this for? What's really important? Is this really important? I'm getting a lot of, of statements from kids much more than usual, even though adolescence is the time for this, there's still a remarkable increase in kids saying, I don't even know what the point of school is. And these are kids who are performing well and are actually planning on going to college, but they, they've just relied on the movement that happens when you just go from ninth grade to 10th grade to 11th grade to 12th grade to, and so they're having to think about it more because all of that was disruptive. Um, purpose, meaning, personal responsibility. And then the other thing that, that is already a problem, has already been a problem because of the nature of the internet is that pessimism and cynicism among teenagers is really um, a problem, is that they think because they've seen it or read it or it's been flashed across the screen for them that they understand it and now it's like this um, old hat and nothing's new and all of this terrible stuff is happening and everything's going bad. And now that was happening before everything actually did come unraveled. And so you've got um, teenagers who are really struggling with the idea of hope, who are really struggling with the idea of priorities, what really matters. And these are the things to me that are going to lead to some of the suggestions about things that parents can do. If you appreciate that this is some of the stuff that your kid is struggling with, then that gives you some ways we'll talk about later in the next section, I think, about things that you can actually do that will help with that. I have a 16 year old. I'm going out of turn again. <laughs> you know, it's what we do. Um, I have a 16 year old. So a lot of what you were talking about is exactly what I'm seeing with him too. At, time, at times when it wasn't there. And see, see teenagers, all, there's always a larger percentage, of, a, percent, a significant percentage of teenagers who are struggling with each of these things anyway. Okay, that's yeah. part of it. But my, the, the thing that's different is there's a much larger percentage of those and kids who would normally not be struggling with that, it's starting to show up. And that presents a very, if you, if you had a kid who was already doing this, as a parent, you've already begun to have some experience about having to deal with this. But if all of a sudden your kid starts having this, and this has not been an issue that they've shown before, you kind of get going like, okay, what am I supposed to do? What is this? Where did this come from? Yeah. All right, Stacey, I'm going to not take a turn in the middle of this one. <laughs> I think I forgot what the, what the question was. <laughs> I'm totally honest. 
How has the pandemic changed the presenting <laughs> symptoms? <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, right. Um, so here's what's interesting from a young child perspective is that prior to the pandemic, the, the culture of cons- school and constant activities after school and um, you know, the overachieving, my child has to take every dance class and soccer and then baseball and then we're going to do basketball on the weekends and swimming on. <laughs> Anyways, when all of that came to a, 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 a stop, it gave many of the families that I've been working with this opportunity to rethink everything. And a lot of the highly anxious children that I was working with all of a sudden got what they always wanted. And that was presence, time, margin, time to breathe, time to do simple things. Um, And so I sort of went into a little bit of a sort of a, coaching, you know, like we're going to take this back to 1979 and break out the sidewalk chalk. And it's really okay that your child is not doing 17 activities because quite honestly, that was feeding into their anxiety much more than you ever knew. You weren't aware of it. And many of the parents that I was working with would say things like, I just, there's going to come a day that I'm going to slow down. Well, here we are you know, we're all slowing down. And many of them are realizing that a lot of the activities that they were piling onto their young children were very unnecessary. And so there's been a lot of good come from this experience for the families that have had this paradigm shift of what's really necessary and what what really isn't. Um, So it's really cut the fat for a lot of the families that I've worked with. Having said that, it also puts a magnifying glass on what's really happening in your home because everybody's breathing each other's air all day. Um, and if you were having disconnection issues or if there's an overuse of, of screen time or if there's major sibling rivalry issues going on or if it's a high conflict divorce scenario where the parents really aren't on the same page. All of that is being magnified at the same time. But I have found that many families are becoming willing to get help. And, and John, this is a question for you, but in the 12 step recovery world, because of the pandemic meetings are becoming much more accessible to people that just didn't have like parents of young children they didn't have they didn't have the time to get out of the house, drive 30 minutes to the meeting, sit for an hour, come back. You know, they didn't have the babysitting or the, the budget for all of that. And now they can just jump on a Zoom call and, and meet people in their own homes and connect with people in a way that just wasn't normalized prior to this. So, um, you know, oh, so there, it's both and. One of the things that that reminds me of um, is that in the early phases of this, it's also interesting to me that that we've been through it now. There's like the initial phase, and then there's the kind of what's been going on across, frankly, before the election. And now there's going to be whatever this thing is that's that's coming up. But 
in that early period in my neighborhood, I realized as I was driving, something kept getting my attention about the people who were walking in the neighborhood, the adults who were walking in the neighborhood. And what got my attention is that there were teenagers walking with them. I literally had never in the entire time I lived in my neighborhood saw parents and their teenage children walking together, not once. Mm-hmm. And I kept seeing it over and over again. And that's what part of what you're talking about, Stacy, is that it forced this, but it also had the opportunity part. And they things started changing because of that by necessity. But still, that, that was just really striking to me. And I would add, you know, along with the lines of what Stacy said, a lot of groups, you know, are uh, on Zoom now, you know, 12 step and other groups. And, you know, that creates, you know, not only a greater degree of convenience, but allows people to reach out just like you could in theory in this meeting uh, with on a private chat. You know, I see that happening in 12 step if somebody says, says, you know, in a private chat, hey, I like what you said. Would you be my temporary sponsor or that kind of thing? It kind of lowers the bar uh, for some people. Once you get used to all these electrons floating around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of electrons going on. <laughs> Jim, you started to say something about um, earlier, you were talking about how, um, you know, what are some of those tools that you all have? Um, There's a a number of things occur to me about this. But the one thing I want to say, which I don't know that we've mentioned yet, is that there's uh, on the webpage on bumc.net slash resiliency, I think is is the webpage. for this, there's a resources tab there. And on that resources tab, um, there's a number of things, uh, resources that that cover a a lot of what we're gonna be talking about, especially things like what are the actual signs and indications of anxiety, and especially if you have an anxiety disorder. But there's some really cool stuff in there too. Uh, Stacy and I, um, eight months ago or so, for a couple of months, wrote a um, column um, that provided um, a a kind of information, different kinds of aspects of how to deal with COVID as it first kind of started generating all of this stuff. Kids were home, that kind of business. And there's actually a lot of information that's still relevant for that. And so we had some things like the the improving your pandemic quality of life. And so we we, we came up with, um, pulled from the internet, all these different assessments that are easy and that are that are instant and that free and you can like and there are things like um, anxiety and depression but there's all kinds of other stuff like um, like burnout or like uh, motivation or like um, excitement or fun or those kinds of things so there's there's a whole range of of things that's an example that's there and then we had wrote some stuff about here are different things that you can do there's some there's a, a column that's on um, taking care of yourself as a parent, which would be just an adult, <laughs> but, but from the parenting perspective, which we were writing about, there were things about um, the different kinds of things that could be helpful from a, as a family about how to kind of, of get things going and pay attention to this. Exactly some of the stuff that Stacy's talking about that that um, uh, about the 
changing the way you do stuff in the family. And so how do you go about doing that? And what are some ideas and some suggestions and, and examples of that? And so, so on that resource page, there's a lot of stuff in there and, and there's going to be much more than what we end up talking about. So that's the first thing I think about is that there's places where you can get this kind of information, the glory and the wonder of the internet, not the terrible and horrible part of it, but the, that is that those things are available. So we've got some of that that's accessible to folks um, if they want to go and take a look at that. Um, so with that being said, though, I, the, the kinds of things that um, become important, uh, at least in, in, uh, in part become important, is about re- helping kids, helping teenagers recognize and acknowledge this is going on. But part of the difficulty is that none of us knew about all of this because it was hidden within just the flow of what we're doing. And so that what that means then is that just starting to talk to your kid about this, starting to acknowledge that this is going on, that they can be experiencing these things, and then open up a conversation about what we need to do about that. What are things that we can do? I'll pause for a minute because I've been talking a lot, and so I'm going to stop and see if. Okay. All right. Uh, let me say a word about tools. Um, first, let me kind of you know put the truth out there. You know, uh, speaking of teenagers, the truth that you know they're famous for seeing the truth and speaking the truth. Truth is, kind of in many ways, civilization has kind of let us down. You know, we thought we were better than this. You know, but we're not. And so there's there's an adaptation that's going on. I'm kind of like a science person by training, you know, and inclination. And so the very first thing that I've been doing is there's this massive experiment watching who is doing well, you know, and how are they doing that? That's that's what I've been really observing. And one of the first things that I've observed is the is it seems almost directly proportional that the amount of time people spend outside seems proportional to how they're doing in this pandemic. <laughs> I discovered that this summer when I took up gardening for the first time and went to get to try to get some gardening stuff and look, everybody had beat me there. You know, in all of the walks in the neighborhood, I now know who drives their cars too fast in the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> things, things that I didn't used to know. So being outside is one tool. Another one, I like to call it paradox, but it's simply kind of, Noticing what are the opportunities that are coming to you in the pandemic. If you're stuck in the house with your wife and kids, well, what better time to work on your family? You know, or specifically, what better time to work on your relationship? <laughs> I'm so okay, John. I automatically start thinking, oh Lord, oh Lord. So not only am I worried whether I'm going to keep my job or not, and whether the entire economy is going to collapse into a giant sinkhole, but now I'm going to have to actually work on my family and like have conversations and talk about emotions and stuff. Yeah. Uh, you're such a therapist. <laughs> Trust me, it's going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't, John, it won't. <laughs> another, another wrinkle that comes with digital therapy is if your husband's in the other room and doesn't really want to come to couples therapy, <laughs> you can bring the computer in the other room. Or you can take talk it loud so he can hear it. And so he, just, <laughs> he did what? <laughs> so there's a lot of things oh my there. Goodness. 
All right. The last thing I would say that the third third tool is is I would call it clarity. You know, clarity on your personal values, which ironically that's what this organization is all about, because that you know that that our personal values are what allow us to endure discomfort, and in this we need to persevere. I mean, knock on wood, you know, one of the big, you know, goals is in sight, you know, about having effective vaccines, but we want, want to be vigilant and persevere, you know, until we get to that point. And our values, you know, are what carry us through these difficult times, whether it's love, how many different ways can you express love in the pandemic or honesty or gratitude? How many different ways can you express those and how much better can we become um, satisfied with our lives in all kinds of ways just by simply taking that challenge? I absolutely agree with you, John, um, in general, but also with teenagers, <clears throat> that that issue becomes really important. This is about, um, it becomes a character issue about surviving something like this, getting through this with integrity, personal integrity, family integrity, um, requires a focus on values and morals and principles, ethics, those things about what's important and what are, this is an, an aspect of the priorities. Priorities is not just about um, what are my priorities about, you know, doing homework versus playing video games. Priorities is also about what are the fundamentally important things about being a human being, about being a member of this family, about being a member of this community, those things, but and and the the nature of the the fundamental nature of our um, religions and our spiritual beliefs are about understanding the real perspective about what really matters, and so this automatically raises all that stuff. And and it's it's the case that teenagers can often kind of slide past that because of what Stacy was talking about from the kids' perspective of course, flows right up into adolescence, which is all of the participation and involvement with things means that people are going everywhere and parents actually lose the opportunity to have the time to inculcate their values into their kids because their kids are being guided by other adults. Now that's important anyway. I don't mean that that's not important, but I mean, it also becomes important that you transmit to them one of the fundamental things that we do as parents which is transmit to our kids the values and principles and morals that do guide all their decision-making and the nature and quality of their lives as into adulthood. I'm going to jump in here just for a second, just to remind everybody that they can submit questions because we're going to be doing those here in just a minute. Uh, but Stacy, what are some things that I'm pretty sure there aren't, you know, five or six year olds watching this, what are some things that parents can do for their kids? Um, are there some tools that, that you have for, for parents as they're watching their kids too? Are you talking about to reduce anxiety? Yes. Mm -hmm. Or just in general? In general, what are ways that, that parents are going to be able to, well, stress and anxiety, because that's our, you know, that's our main topic. So, um, I, I admit that I'm kind of a broken record and I'm sort of a one trick pony in the way that I practice, but I spend a lot of my time inspiring parents to turn off the screens when they have young children. And it's not because my heart is not to punish people, although children 
think that I'm the, the, the devil sometimes. It's okay, mine think that about me. Um, but what, what I have found over and over again is if parents can allow their children to have screens for school um, with no more than about 30 minutes to an hour a day of entertainment-based screen time, and I focus, I really try to help folks to think of slow screen time for young children, really fast frames per second, highly dysregulating um, screen time just makes everything harder. All that to say, um, I spend a lot of time inspiring parents to help their children to turn off the screens. And when you do that, Believe it or not, if you can stick with it for just a little while, um, children start to become intrinsically motivated to do things that they that make them happy. And, and they start to sort of entertain themselves. They don't require extrinsic motivation to get to get their day going, you know. Um, and so one thing that you can do if you have a young child, especially, especially 10 or under, is just to turn off the screens and have stations of things that your children can do. You know, you might have a station of Legos and a station for coloring, um, a station with, you know, you can get like a little pan of rice and um, and let your kids bury stuff in the rice and have a, a lid for it. You might put it on the back porch because that's going to be a mess. <laughs> then we'll have cleanup time. I have a lot of great ideas. <laughs> I'm going to teach the child how to vacuum. <laughs> Kids need to know how to do chores. Um, you know, I, I, I can't believe how much screen time that the children are on. You know, you, your kid only has 12 years to be a child. And three of those, they only have intrinsic memory of, meaning it's, it's subconscious memory. So we're looking at nine years that they're going to remember. And when you turn 13, you're no longer a child, you're becoming an adult. And so, you know, add up how many hours that is to have a childhood. And I don't know about you, but I, I'm never going to remember my best day of television. Although, you know, I loved Archie Bunker and Wheel of Fortune and all the things. But when I really think about the times that I appreciate and, and, and it, you know, wish I could go back to, it's sitting at the creek, it's swinging on, on, in the playground, it's swimming at the swimming pool, it's, you know, it's real life things that I did with my five senses. So I do a lot of coaching with parents of helping them to reduce screen time and increase connection activities with their kids. And my favorite little resource, and I tell everybody about this thing, is this TheraPlay, can you see it? TheraPlay flip chart. You cannot get this on Amazon. You have to get it directly from the TheraPlay Institute, but it is full of connection-based activities that parents can do with their children at home. And five minutes a day, once or twice a day with both parents, if you have a young child of TheraPlay, special TheraPlay time, um, just doing that alone in, in conjunction with reducing screen time can many times just reduce children's behavior problems without doing anything else, um, which is going to prevent you from having to come see me. <laughs> yeah. So having that connection with our kids for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have a couple questions. Uh, let's see. Actually, we've got 
lots of questions here. Oh, no, no, she's didn't. Okay. Uh, first thing was somebody asked, and this one's for me. I'm going to go ahead and address this one um, because I'm the moderator and I can. Um, will this be available to view on the website at a later date? Yes, it is. Um, it's available for playback at bumc.net uh, backslash resiliency or on the Brentwood United Methodist Church's YouTube channel, which is where this is going to be. So um, that was a quick one. Uh, another important question. Uh, first, uh, how do I proceed when I realize it's time to seek counseling? How do you find the right person? That is a, such a hard question. I mean, because there's so many of us and then, you know, honestly, if you're a Brentwood Methodist member, I would call one of us and tell us specifically what you're needing. And then we can refer you to the right person. Cause you kind of have to know people in the community and what, who does what. So if you're a Brentwood Methodist member, I would call one of us and say, this is our need. This is the need. And then we can sort of send you in the right direction. I mean, that's my suggestion. Anybody else want to pipe in? Well, any, any professional who, um, especially a health professional who deals with um, lots of people and that, for example, are primary care providers um, for kids and adolescents can be pediatricians. They're going to know a lot of different providers, therapists and counselors in the area. And they'll actually have some experience because their patients who they see a lot of because of the nature of how many patients that they have um, on their um, roster will get a lot of feedback about um, therapists that they hear good things about and therapists that they don't hear much or even mad, bad things about. And so um, physicians and medical health providers um, are uh, an important place to go for that. If you're in private schools, the school counselors can give you information about that because they also will know about different counselors that kids that they've dealt with in the schools um, have had and will know about things that they've heard good things about and, and otherwise. In public schools, that's a bit, a bit more complicated because public schools are not allowed to advocate for any particular individual. Um, often what they will end up having, the counseling programs, <clears throat> first of all, in um, Williamson County schools, there are STARS counselors who provide counseling um, services within the school context, which has been severely constrained during this time, but still they're there. But they also tend to refer to clinics or groups, um, um, non-specific people practices, because that's less of a specific thing. So you're going to have less success um, with public school um, counselors being able to recommend even when they know because of the constraints that they have about not advocating for one thing or another. But anybody who sees a lot of people, um, whether it's um, children or adolescents or um, adults, um, will be likely to know about that. And those would be people to try and ask and see who they have. And then there's also friends and families. You will discover, maybe surprisingly, that people you didn't realize, but that you knew actually know some people because they've actually been involved with this. And so um, people that you know and trust, if they know people, of course, that's, that's a really important resource too. I would just add that, you know, I always use what I call the family test, okay, which is if someone is in my family needed help, would I refer 
my family member to this particular person because it's it's a <laughs> tremendous responsibility uh, with, oh, with like trust. With, with I like trust. that. That's good. And so uh, once you get that person on the phone, wherever you got the name, you know, ask them, describe, you know, here's the situation, you know, how comfortable would you feel handling this? Or would you think someone else would be a better fit for this? And, and, and listen to what they say. Um, and um, we'll go, we'll go from there. All right. Second question. Do any of you have advice for a member of the LGBTQ community struggling with social anxiety, who is hoping to establish meaningful relationships and connections right now? Well, I could, I could say that I have a, a group, a support group that I've started in the pandemic for singles, you know, because just singles are having a rough time, you know, period, you know, and, and it's amazing in that group uh, to see people, you know, kind of normalize the, the things that they go through over and over again. So the first thing when I see that is that one of the pathways people will take for that are dating apps. And when you do that, you're going to expect to be ghosted. You'll seem like you have the beginnings of a relationship and boom, the person's gone. And that's a very disappointing and disconcerting experience uh, for people. So I really discourage people from putting all their eggs in that basket. You know, I see it happen sometimes. Kind of like, you know, you get winners in Las Vegas. <laughs> but, but I encourage I encourage people if that's the path you're going to take, if, if that's the path you're going to take, slow it down and try to really vet the person. You know, because uh, trust is the coin of the realm. You know, when it comes to relationships, uh, other strategies I've seen people take are kind of a social media strategy where they jump from making comments to someone who's a friend of a friend. Uh, to eventually kind of, you know, texting them and then to FaceTiming and then eventually, you know, quarantining and meeting in person. I see people go to socially distant events, which is probably something the church could sponsor more of. Like I had a couple that met at a socially distant bonfire, you know, way back in the uh, beginnings of the pandemic. Uh, and finally, I just, you know, compare this uh, for socially anxious people to kind of like physical fitness. Uh, with physical fitness, you have to have enough of a challenge done regularly enough to kind of build up your physical fitness. And if you stop, you're going to lose your physical fitness. And for people with uh, social anxiety, it, they need to kind of challenge themselves regularly, not overwhelmingly, but regularly, usually along the lines of what motivates them or where they feel strongest. And that's usually one of the best bets for helping them uh, stretch that comfort zone and begin to develop some relationships. And of course, obviously with LBGTQ, there's a greater emphasis upon feeling safe and feeling that you're with your people. Okay. One other, uh, or another question. Um, do people push down or minimize their own anxiety and suffering because they're comparing it to others whose suffering seems bigger? Have y'all seen that? All the time. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> like not just seen it. Yeah. yeah. They'll, they'll usually say first world problems. They'll usually preface it by saying that. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so what are some things that you all would suggest for that or that you do suggest with that? Well, don't let them brush it off, you know, say, okay, let's talk about it. You know, how's it, how's it actually impacting you? Uh, you know, in my world, you know, perception is king. You know, the very same problem that someone might think is not a big deal causes another person to feel so hopeless that it's actually dangerous, you know, for their future. So everything has to be checked out in, in my world. Well, with teenagers, um, uh, the thought that <clears throat> what comes to my mind are the, especially the kids who are natural helpers, they will um, get focused on being available and being supportive and being helpful to their peers. And um, to the detriment of paying attention to, first of all, what's going on with them and the effect that it has when you're not a somebody who's got some training about being able to be a helpful, uh, being, uh, being a helper. Um, helping people who are struggling with stuff is a really, can be a real struggle about it starting to affect your own views about things, your own emotions, your own um, kind of mood states, your own um, expectations and anticipating whether things are going well, pessimism, all that kind of stuff. So the the idea of, and parents often know when they've got a kid who tends to kind of put their own needs second, who tends to push things down. And there, the, there's kind of stages of things that you would do with a kid like this. If you start to notice in adolescence, Stacy would have things about if you notice that in a younger kid, but by the time they're teenagers, if you if that's when you start to notice it, then there are ways about first just beginning to talk to the kid about legitimizing and making sure you help them understand that that what they need and their feelings and um, paying attention, putting them as a priority at times is an important thing to do. And so just having the conversation about that and then kind of seeing where that goes. If the, if the kid is able to and willing to talk about that, then you can be more adaptive and progressive about how you kind of help them make sure that they pay attention to that. If not, then it means as a parent, like with so many things, when we have to kind of guess about what's going on with our kids, then it can be about trying to figure out what you can do that would help with that. Making sure that you are um, arranging things so that the focus is on what would you like to do and what would a priority be for you and this is kind of what can we do that would be special for you to have this time either with us or for yourself or, or whatever that kind of stuff. But it may also be, depending on the kid that you've got, this is also a thing that's not, it's related to us as therapists. And so there are times when I have what I end up calling consultations, which is not somebody coming in saying, I've got this issue that we're going to work systematically to address, which is typically what you think about. But it's that I've got this thing that's going on. What can you, what could suggestions or recommendations can you make given this is the circumstance? And so we have kind of a focus thing. So therapists and counselors can help with you saying, here's what's going on with my kid. And they say, well, you can try this or this or this or this or this, that kind of thing. So it's not always that you have to just kind of come up with that yourself. Okay. Thank you. We're about I to help people to stay in their own lane. 
you know. <laughs> run, your own, run your own race. All right, real quick, other than stay in your own lane, are there some <laughs> final thoughts that you all have? We're about to run out of time for everybody who's watching. We're going to be on a little bit longer, but for the sake of the hour that we've kind of set aside here too, um, if you, like I said, if you still have questions, go ahead and send them. We'll be on for a little bit longer. Um, but in terms of um, the, the recording here, are there any final thoughts that you all have real quick? Uh, just uh, uh, don't give up, you know, and don't uh, don't uh, be afraid to share. You know, many people suffer in silence, and of course, we're all better off kind of going through this uh, together. Uh, we all have endlessly different points of views and uh, experiences, so different ideas about what can be helpful. Uh, we're three therapists. We're not the only therapist, nor do we have a lock on ideas. You know, there are many different approaches to this situation. And if history, and I've gone back and looked at the whole series on the plague, the Black Death, you know, history teaches us anything, you know, many, 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 many good things can come from, you know, a, a period like this, many creative things that uh, we could not even imagine. So uh, let's let's get through this, you know, together and thrive. And I, I I would dovetail on that without the reference to the Black Plague, but <laughs> <laughs> as the parallel to this. But uh, but and that <laughs> and that is that. And this this also builds on what Stacy was also talking about um, earlier. And, and that is that one of the things that happens is the social disconnection that's occurring for teenagers. And what we're not used to thinking about is the family being the social support um, network for the kids in teenage years, because teenagers are supposed to be branching out from the family. And so this notion about doing things as a family, about making family time, that's you'll hear us as therapists talk about that all the time anyway, it is especially important now because the absence of the support network of peers leaves kids stuck, kind of isolated and alone. They're like sitting in their bedrooms. They're like wandering around the house. They're, they're looking for things to do because they don't have those traditional things or the, the typical things from the, the before this. And so one of those things is making things to do as a family that people, everybody can enjoy. And that's an important criteria for teenagers. You have to also involve them in that. But the other thing about this is perspective. And that is that while this has been going on for a while, it ain't going on forever. And so the idea is we've got to figure out how to get through this. This is part of, to me, what John was also talking about. We got to think about getting through this, but that's helping our kids know, yes, it sucks. Yes, there's difficulty. And yes, it would be nice, but it's not going to always be like that. And kids don't have the same perspective because they don't have just the longevity in life to have lived through and developed a sense of, oh, things don't just change, stay like this forever. Things always change. And so us old people, not Stacy, but John and I, um, are, really, are really kind of have to live that. And so those are two things and all the different ways you can do that, I think, become really important during this period. So what you're saying is building resilience and having hope at the same time. No, I didn't say that. I, <laughs> You were That's just trying to tie it in to 
tied that up. That was okay. great. Yes, that's exactly what I said. <laughs> well, I just want to remind everybody also that um, in addition to to these, you can also uh, reach out to me at the church. Um, we've got pastors there as well who are willing to help. Um, so just remember that you all are not alone. Uh, we are in this together. We do want to come alongside you, help you, um, whatever it is that we can do there, recommend people, refer, refer you to people, you know, whatever's going on there. Um, but I'd like to also thank you all for joining us on this conversation and we hope you enjoy Hope you will join us again next time. Oh.